So I had you put a bulletin in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, and, and then I had you turn over to Acts chapter 17. Paul is, is in uh, Thessalonica with uh, Silas, and they're over there and they're ministering. Now, Paul, you remember when Paul went off on his first missionary journey, he went off with Barnabas, and he went off with John Mark, and John Mark uh, ended up kind of getting a little you know, scared feet, you know, in the midst of uh, uh, the missionary journey because it got pretty hot on the trail uh, and and got pretty uh, dangerous on the trail. And so John Mark says, man, I got to go home. I'm going home. And so he took off and went home. And then uh, the next missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were about to go on and and, uh, Barnabas, you know, says, hey, look who's going to go with us again, you know, Paul. And John comes, you know, John Mark comes up and and uh, Paul goes, yeah, no, that's not happening again. We can't, we can't have that. And so there was a little bit of a schism going on between, you know, Paul and and Barnabas right there. They had a contention over John Mark whether or not he should go or whether he not, whether or not he should not. Um, I say that simply to to say, we look at men like Paul and we think that everything is perfect about their lives that they do no wrong. Um, he's a man just like us. He was a man with with you know you know flesh and blood just like us yes god used them to pen 13 books of the new testament but the thing and used him to to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time but in the midst of it there was still a bit of a contention between a couple of brothers and he was a part of it he was a big part of it he says no way man i'm not going to go with john mark but suffice it to say that later on at the very end of, of paul's life paul says please send john mark to me for he has much use to me. And so somewhere along the line, in, in Paul's life, the rift had been healed. And John Mark became an active member and an active help and an active servant uh, you know, alongside of Paul. And th- there was reconciliation there. So just so you know. But the reason I say that is that Paul is not with Barnabas. Paul is with Silas. And as they're going into Thessalonica, they're in Thessalonica and they're ministering. And as they're ministering, they're accused by the, by the, the, the local townsmen, the, the local businessmen. They're saying, these two have come and they're turning the world upside down. Now, the reason why these businessmen are, men, are, are mad because they were basically pimps. They were those who owned you know, this girl who had this, this uh, uh, you know, she was like a, a, a palm reader. We would call them psychics today, maybe, you know, and, and, and we, would, we would look at them as a, as a palm reader or somebody who could foretell a future or something like that, you know, and somebody is a little spooky, you know. I mean, the Bible says stay away from them. Stay away from mediums. Stay away from those soothsayers. The Word of God gives us a strong command to stay away from those. Doesn't say that what they say is is always wrong. It's just why would you go to somebody who's being energized by Satan to tell you the future when in all actuality you could go to the one who's far greater than Satan to tell you the future yourself. And and if God doesn't tell you a future that you want to hear, know this, it's there's a reason behind God not revealing certain things to you. It's not time for you to know. Maybe it's not time. Are you saying, Pastor Don, mediums are real? Well, I see in Scripture that mediums are, there's some credence to it. You know, back in the book of, of uh, I think it was Second uh, Samuel, talking about how uh, um, uh, Samuel, uh, 
Saul was looking for you know wisdom because Saul uh, had taken off on his own. He began to, to 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 live outside of the bonds of God, and he quit listening to what Samuel said. And so Samuel said, "I want nothing to do with you anymore. You're on your own." And there came a time where Saul really, really needed to hear the counsel from the from from heaven. He needed to hear counsel, but. He contacted Samuel, and Samuel said, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Then he went to a medium. She was called the Witch of Endor. And he went to her, and he disguised himself. And as he disguised himself, he went, and he went in and he talked to this woman, and she gave him exactly what it was that he needed to hear. And then her eyes were opened, and she began to see, which always kind of always surprises me about psychics and so on and so forth, you know. Um, you go into a psychic. I've never gone, but you know, one of the first things they ask you, what's your name? You say, shouldn't you know? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, if you know all things, I mean, God, you just tell me what's my birth date, you know? Who am I? What is it that I'm here for if you are everything that you are saying you are? But she gave him counsel that was real counsel. And so the Bible doesn't explain away saying mediums are absolutely not telling you, you know, that there is some 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 truth to it but know this it's not all truthful because it's being energized by none other than satan it's a reason why god says stay away from them can you imagine jesus as he was walking along with with satan if you were actually in jesus stand in in, in jesus footsteps and satan comes along knowing that he has the ability to give you everything that you ever would desire on this earth powerball I was, you know, going, you know, we didn't buy a ticket or anything like that. We didn't win. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, you know what, if somebody buys a Powerball ticket in here, we're going to have one heck of a tithe here pretty quick. Just joking. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that joke to come along, and it, it just fell. Come on, guys. It, here, here's the thing. Maybe you're one of those that you bought a lottery ticket and you began to spend that money before it, the numbers were even done. I, I know, I know. I've been there before. I know what happened to some of your brains. The what-ifs factor, the what-if factor. But you understand that when Jesus was walking along with Satan, Lucifer, Lucifer says, you see all these kingdoms, everything? I'll give them all to you if you bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything your heart ever desires if you would just give me your soul. And Jesus always combated Satan with no. Here's what the Word of God says. And he always combated Satan with what the Word of God said. I'm happy that Satan doesn't come to me. Though he does come to all of us through his little demonic minions and try to promise us things and try to convince us to walk away from the Lord in order to gather what it is that we think we need. When in all actuality, we just need to run to the Lord. We're going to see that here in just a second. We don't need to know what Satan thinks our life needs to be. 
That makes sense? We don't need to allow Satan to influence who we are going to be. We don't need to run to him or a medium or a psychic. If you're running to psychics right now, you need to be careful. In fact, you need to flee. You need to get away. You need to stop. Why would you go to someone inferior when you have God himself that you can go and speak with? And he's with you and he doesn't charge you a fee. (laughs) He doesn't charge you a fee. He doesn't sleep. You can go to him at any time. You don't have to travel to anywhere to get to him. Right now, you can ask the Lord right now. You can talk to him right now. The creator of the universe is at your disposal. He's right there. He's at your fingertip. He's at the tip of your tongue. He is there even without you speaking. He says, I'll even hear your thoughts. I'll know what your heart is thinking. That's God. You have him. You have him to run to. Why would you ever run to something that is an antithesis without the power of God? And so what you're doing is something so inferior to God. You're running to somebody who is so inferior to God because you think Satan will tell you something better than God is going to tell you. And again, Satan will tell you things that are true. Could Satan have given Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world? Well, that Jesus didn't refute what Satan said. All these kingdoms are mine, Lucifer says. I'll give them to you if you'll just simply bow down. Jesus didn't say, you know what, Satan, I'm Jesus. I don't know if you know that. Son of God, actually, God in human flesh, all the heavens and earth, everything, you were even created through me. Uh, Yeah, they're not yours. They're actually mine. He didn't refute that they were Satan's. But that he answered Satan without bringing up the fact that Satan was wrong. Satan was saying a lot of truth. But he is the father of lies. And he will say just enough truth in order to capture an unwitting soul. A soul that's not centered and strong in the word of God. And so we have in this day and age, we have, you know, palm readers and so on and so forth that are hanging around out here in the, in the world. And, and you see them with their little blinking neon lights out there and everything. You may have been tempted to go in there at times. Well, see, back in Acts chapter 17, there was, a, there was a girl that was just like that. She was one that would go around and she would, she would charge money to tell your future, to, to tell some fortune in your life and what have you. And, and, and as Paul and Silas were walking through the town, the spiritual battle that was going on, she began to follow Paul and Barnabas around and she started to shriek out and scream out to everybody who would listen. Listen to these two men. These men are the men of the Most High God. Listen to everything they're saying. Listen to everything they're saying. And yet, Paul goes, he finally can't handle it anymore, and he turns around and he says, he says to the woman, depart from, you know, Satan, depart from this woman. He casts a demon out of this woman. You think, well, if you read the scripture and you go, well, Why would Paul ever cast a demon out of a woman that's actually going around screaming out that everything that Paul and Silas are saying is true and is from God? Because it was just a simple mockery of Satan that was trying to discredit what Paul and Silas were there to do. 
And so Paul casts the demon out of this out of this girl, this young girl, who was being abused by these men who were becoming wealthy on her gifts. And all of a sudden, the demon was cast out of her, and she couldn't do it anymore. And they got ticked off, and they go and they start going rounding up all the businessmen in town and the mayor and all the political figures in town, saying these two men have come to us and they're turning the world upside down. When in all actuality, what they were doing was turning the world right side up. It was already upside down, right? When as they're in there and they're 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 talking to you know, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas. They, they kick him out of town. Paul and Barnabas, they go and they end up going to Mars Hill. They go to Greece. The Areopagus, they end up going up on the Areopagus. Latter half of chapter 17, Paul goes in there and as he's, he's in there, it, we'll pick it up in verse 16. I'm going to read it real quick. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens in Greece, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols or false gods. Therefore, Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered Paul. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, well, he comes to be a proclaimer. He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took Paul and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know this new doctrine of which you speak? Now, the Areopagus is an Arian town where all the great thinkers, all the thinkers of Athens would go and sit around and listen to somebody spout off some philosophical, you know, postulate, you know, some, some smart, you know, well thought out, wise saying. Now, and then they would determine, well, we, we agree with you or we don't agree with you. And so they were just kind of all these men that would go out there and women would go out there and people would go out there and listen to these guys. And then they would determine whether or not they were real, right or wrong. And we would cast them out. And so it was just, we are the great thinkers. These are the Dawkins of the day. These are the Stephen Hawkings of the day. These are the guys that are out there determining who's right, who's wrong, who has the greatest brain? That's who's out there at the Areopagus. And Paul finds himself at the Areopagus. And they, they actually say, hey, why don't you take the podium? Because we haven't heard this doctrine. Let's hear what you have to say. And then we'll judge you on whether or not what you're saying is true. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, verse 20. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent time and nothing else, listen, but to either tell or to hear something new. And then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, now, before we go on, here's the thing. Can you imagine being in that place? You've been given as a Christian, you've been given the opportunity to stand before the greatest thinkers of the day in Athens a philosophical uh, uh, mecca of the known world at that time was right there. And the Areopagus was the podium. And Paul has been given the opportunity, no, he's been given the invitation to go and stand before all these men to speak to them. Now, if I'm Paul, I see him, what he's doing wow, I, I, I need to reach these guys on the level that they're at. I need to have a sense of 
academic prowess that these guys are so that they'll give me some credence. And Paul says, Paul, Paul says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, stop for a second. Paul says, I was walking down through the center of your town where you had all these idols, these false, or he didn't call them false, all these gods that were statues. And I'm walking over there and there's a plaque in front of this God and there's a plaque in front of this God and this is what this God is all about. And then this is another plaque in front of this statue and this is what this God is all about and this is what he affords. And so all of these men that had come to the Areopagus had presented all of these gods and all of these gods were all the known gods that anybody would serve in that day. And Paul was going on, unless they offend any God whatsoever... There actually was a, a situation where Paul talks about, uh, you know, earlier where he got stoned to death. Lystra and Derby, you remember where he was stoned to death? The people thought he was Hermes and or Zeus and, and Silas was Hermes and they stoned Paul to death. The whole idea behind that is that there was an old folklore, you know, tale was that Hermes and Zeus came dressed as old uh, uh vagabonds if you will and and homeless people that came into a city and they asked can i find some refuge can i find some refuge and in the city everybody turned them away except for one little old couple they had this really really small cottage they had nothing and the yet the old couple says we don't have much but what we have come on in and you can stay with us and so they welcomed you know uh, zeus and hermes this was the folklore this was the mytho mythological story and they, old people welcomed them in. And so as they welcomed them in, they fed them. And then all of a sudden, Zeus and Hermes revealed themselves to this old couple that, hey, we're Zeus, we're Hermes, we are gods, and we can give you anything you want. So we're going to take your little cottage, we're going to make it a palace, but we're going to go out and we're going to wipe out this whole city because they all turned us away. And so they did, according to folklore, according to myth. And so these, we're going to give you all this wealth, you old couple, we're going to make you a, give you a palace because you did something for us that nobody else would do. And so they went out there and they destroyed all the people. Well, all of a sudden, when Paul and Silas come in and they're preaching Christ and people were getting saved, people were getting healed, people were getting radically affected because Jesus Christ is being preached. The people, they didn't really know what to do and they started to cast them out. And not cast them out. Well, well, let's be careful. This might be Zeus and Hermes again. And so they begin to go and bring bulls in to offer them unto Paul and Barnabas as if they're, they're Zeus and Hermes. And Paul has to say, stop doing this. Don't sacrifice to us. We are not who you think we are. We're simply followers of Christ. Not Zeus and Hermes. Are you sure? I think you're trying to trick us. You're going to wipe us out again. So no, we're going to sacrifice says is they could barely restrain the people from sacrificing to them but they finally convinced them and when they finally convinced them that they weren't zeus and hermes they totally turned on paul took him out of the city and stoned him to death killed him because he wasn't who he, they thought he was so these gods are there in athens there's a there's a statue to zeus there's a statue to hermes there's a statue to diana there's a statue to all of these gods that are there 
Poseidon, all these Greek mythological gods. But lest they offend any god like that one town did to Zeus and Hermes, they put one statue up here, kind of nondescript looking god, and put a plaque under it said, to the unknown god. <laughs> so that if any god comes in and goes, why don't you have a plaque to me? Oh, no, that's yours. We just didn't, we didn't know your name. But we made, we made a statue for you. That's you. Doesn't look anything like me, you know? But here's the thing. They made that, that statue, and so Paul goes, I'm going to capitalize on that. Hey, this unknown God that you guys have a statue made and a plaque for, uh, he's the one I want to talk to you about. The one whom you worship without knowing, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world, he says in verse 24 of chapter 17 of Acts, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives all to, life, to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offering. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is, is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or even man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some of them mocked Paul while others said, you know what, we will hear you again on this matter another day. <laughs> and so Paul departed from among them. However, listen, verse 34, some men joined them and believed among them Dionysus and, Areop and the Areopagot and a woman named Damaris and others and, and, and a few others with them. So, so here's the thing. Paul, he goes up there. He stands up there. And what we don't see here is that he quotes their poet after poet after poet. Many of these statements that you see in here are actually out of the poet's lines. Euripides, Epimenides. These are some of the, the greatest poets in Greek philosophy, Paul uses... Paul was a very astute man. He was a very educated man. He tried to meet them on their, their own ground. I'm going to use your own poets against you to point out who Christ is. I'm going to show you my intellect, my ability to spar with you on your level to bring Christ to you, you see. I'm even going to be a little creative in saying that this unknown God, that's the one that I want to talk to you about. He's God. And so he creates this, this incredible way. And, and we look at it and we go, wow, that is an intense message that Paul just brought out. To be able to bring their poets in and, and use it and utilize it to present Christ, to actually utilize something that they're using because they don't want to offend a wrong God so they'll be killed, to use it. Wow, that's ingenious, Paul. But notice that at the end of his time there, it says that only a few believed. 
There wasn't a large gathering. There wasn't many people that came to Christ. There wasn't hardly anybody that came to Christ through all of the efforts. Turn with me very, very quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've got to finish. We'll work on this passage more in depth of uh, the essence of what this passage says. But let me just end today with this. This is absolutely, completely, and totally contrary to what Paul did in Athens on the Areopagus, Areopagus, Mars Hill. The hill of thinkers. The hill of philosophers who shaped the minds of men back in their day. Everybody followed what these guys who were standing around and judging Everybody believed what those guys thought because they were smart. We have that happening in our own country today with the, like I say, the Hawkins and the Dawkins. Bill the science guy. Many of these thinkers that are out there, they're, they're refuting the word of God. They're refuting God. They're trying to discount God because their minds, they think, are so well Uh, uh, versed and and so well advanced beyond your mind that to believe anything other than what they believe, you're an idiot. They're one of the Areopagites hanging around the hill. I'm just trying to bring that past into our modern day, just so you know. The message hasn't changed. Christ is still Christ. He is still the Son of God who came into the world to live among us, to die on a cross, and to rise again from the dead to save sinners of which Paul says, I'm chief, and I can sit here and go, I'm second. Here's the thing. Paul tried to use a way with words. He tried to use a wily way to get in to present Christ. Now we might go, ah, be careful because now you're starting to step on Paul a little bit. I started this message off by saying this. Paul was a man just like you and I. Paul did not die on a cross for you and I. Paul is not a man of perfection. Christ is, but not Paul. Paul learned a lot of things in his life. It's the reason that Paul writes Romans 7. Oh, the things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't do. And the things that I will not to do, those are the very things I practice. He goes, I got an inner spiritual battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. And and I am having a hard time overcoming the flesh. Paul dealt with the flesh just like you dealt with the flesh. He says a chapter earlier, he goes, listen, I would not have known sin unless the law would have said, thou shalt not covet. The word covet means lust. The Bible said, Paul's saying, I wouldn't have known sin unless the Bible would have said, you shouldn't be lusting, Paul. And it could have been after a woman. It could have been after things. It could have been after power. I don't know what the lust was in Paul's heart, but Paul says, I wouldn't even have known sin unless the word of God would have said, would not have said, thou shalt not lust or covet. Same word. So here's the thing. Paul is not perfect. Paul goes to the Areopagus 
And he tries in the wisdom of men. He tries in his own tongue, in his own abilities to try to win people into Christ. The very next place Paul goes is Corinth. The very next thing that Paul talks about after the Areopagus is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's read it real quick. When I, brethren, came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Is that not what Paul just did on the Areopagus? Paul's learned a lesson. He's learning a lesson just like you and I learn lesson in our failures. He says, I didn't come. When I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words, which I had at the Areopagus, of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I I finish with this. Listen, Paul learned a lesson. You can never win people to Christ by your own means, by your own wisdom. You can't do it. You can't think somebody into heaven. You can't argue somebody into heaven. You can't you can't debate someone into heaven. I have a problem with a lot of these debates and a lot of these I, I just I get so tired of watching and I don't even watch them really anymore. Any of you guys you know just absolutely fed up with with you know political news channels that are just sitting there and they just argue. When was the last time you ever saw a Republican change the mind of a Democrat or a Democrat change the mind of a Republican or an Independent or whatever they call themselves today? I've never seen anybody on there go, oh my goodness, you've opened my eyes. I have been wrong. I am sorry. I repent. I am now a changed my party. It's never happened. All that it is is just argument, 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 argument. And then I can go on for another half an hour saying that. And when you're done watching that, do you feel good? Or do you go, I am tied up in knots. We are in a sick society. Actually, we used to have an old worship leader here that used to just, that's all he did. And he was just constantly tied up in knots. And I said, listen, my friend, I'm going to just ask you as a friend, turn off all of the political channels. Do not turn it on for a week and see what happens to your life. Just turn it off. Turn it off. He goes, I can't. Something might happen. And I asked him, what does it matter? What, what do you have the ability to do on that grand of scale? If a Republican or a Democrat says something or does something, what are you going to do to change that? Why don't you take a break? Back off. And he did. And the one week that I asked him to take off turned into two weeks of his own doing and then three weeks, and then four weeks. And it's like, he's going, I've never felt more at peace. I stopped watching those things. Here's the thing. 
You can't argue somebody to change their mind on God. You can't argue somebody to change their mind on salvation. You can't argue somebody in there. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, gang. And if, if, if there's one thing I want you to take out of here today, it, it is this. It is a hope. It is a, a comfort. It's a release of the major responsibility that we place upon our shoulders to try to get someone saved. As if my words can cause you to get saved. It takes a, it's a... Do you understand that when you became a Christian, it was a miracle. It wasn't somebody's great words that caused you to get saved. It was God speaking to an open heart that responded to God's word. To God's word. Responded to the Holy Spirit. The weight comes off of us. I don't have to save you. You don't have to save anyone. We just need to go out and live our lives and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the changing. I don't have to change you. I don't have to change anyone. I just need to live my life for Christ. You just need to live your life for Christ and present Christ to people and let Him do the work. This burden of responsibility that I've got to get this person saved or this loved one saved or that spouse saved or this uncle saved or that mom saved or that dad saved or that whatever, whoever it is, it's no longer your responsibility to save them. It's simply your responsibility to be a Christian, man. To love them as Christ loved them. Not to beat them down. Not to beat them up. Not to slam them with scripture every opportunity you get. It's to be Christ. I've got much more to say about that next time we meet. But And, and, and as I move into chapter 11, 12, and 13, I'm, we're going to talk a lot more about that. But here's the thing. We don't have to save anyone. That's the Lord's doing. You don't have to use the wisdom of the world to, to trick somebody into heaven. Because that's not genuine. Paul learned it. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come like I went into Areopagus with excellency of speech, with the wisdom of men, or anything like that. You know what I came here? I came here determined to know one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Gang, if you keep that as your focus point, you'll be a success. Does that make sense? Let's keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, Lord, that as you send us out of here today, we would take heart to these words. Lord, you want to use us. But it's not going to be in our wise words that causes anybody to be saved. It's you. Help us to learn what that is. Help us to learn what that looks like. Help us to love like you loved. Help us to show compassion like you showed compassion. Help us to reach out to those as you reached out to those. Help us to be you to this world. Jesus, you promised the disciples, which in turn promises to us that it's to our advantage that you went away. You said there in John chapter 14, for if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. But if I do go away, I will send the Comforter to you. He is with you right now, but he will be in you. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He'll tell you of what to say. He'll talk of the Father. He'll talk of me. He will lead you. He'll give you discernment. He'll minister through you. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, He will touch lives through you. God, this great, big, heavy burden can be lifted off our shoulders that I don't have to save anyone. I just need to be you to them. I just need to go out there and present you and represent you and and share the good news. Share you. Share your love. And if they don't receive it, it's it's not my fault. It's not... It's not because I didn't present it. It's not because I didn't argue hard enough. Help us, Lord, every single time we go out, every single time we talk to a loved one that doesn't know you, every single time we talk to someone that isn't a loved one, it's just an acquaintance of ours, or maybe a non-acquaintance, but God, you open up a door for us to talk to somebody about you that it's not our responsibility to save them. It's just simply our responsibility to be a right representation of you and to share the words that you would share with them and then be free of thinking that we have any more responsibility in this than, than, than that right there. So Lord, I pray that this message has freed up a lot of us in this room. Free to go out and share your love free to go out and love mankind, free to go out and, and walk among men and women in the world, not be intimidated by them, not being swayed by the enemy's sayings or his promises to us, but Lord, to always be looking at you. We lift up our lives to you, Lord, and I pray the freedom that has been granted in this room because of your Holy Spirit working through these words, Lord, I pray that it is long and it is lasting. In Jesus' name, amen.